This is Examine Sport, a podcast of the Sports Ethicist. I am your host, Sean Klein. Each episode of Examine Sport focuses on an argument or concept in the philosophy of sport literature. We will look at classic, discipline-defining articles, exciting, newly published works, and dig deep for important but not as well-known papers. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all the shows, along with links and related information, at sportsethicist.com. In this episode, we dig deep to an early paper in the philosophy of sport literature. Kathleen Pearson's Deception, Sportsmanship, and Ethics, published in Quest in 1973, analyzes the ethical status of deception in sport and athletics. This short and exceptionally clear paper has influenced later work regarding deception and fouls in sport. Now, Pearson's overall structure is to break down deception into two basic kinds and then explain the ethical status of each kind of deception. Now, before looking at Pearson's distinction between strategic and definitional deception, it's important to look at her view of the nature of sport. Although she doesn't use the term, Pearson is a kind of formalist. Several past episodes discuss formalism, especially episode three on the ethos of games. I suggest checking those out for more on formalism. But formalism is the view that games are understood, defined, and explained solely, or at least primarily, in terms of the formal, explicit rules of a game. And we can see Pearson's formalism when she defines games in the following ways. Quote, a particular game is no more, in terms of its careful definition, than its rules, end quote. And a second uh, example, a game, quote, a game is identified or defined as being just that game by the rules which govern it, end quote. Now, along with formalism about games, Pearson defines the purpose of athletic activities. She says, quote, the purpose of these games in an athletic setting is to test the skill of one individual or group of individuals in order to determine who is more skillful in a particular well-defined activity, end quote. Now, the formalism and well-defined purpose of games together give Pearson a clear principle by which to evaluate actions, in particular deceptive actions, in sport. That rule of thumb, as she calls it, is, quote, if an act is designed by a willing participant in an activity to deliberately interfere with the purpose of that activity, then that act can properly be labeled unethical, end quote. Now, Pearson uses this principle for determining which kind of deception is moral and which is not. All right, let's summarize to sort of where Pearson's view is at this point. It's three main ideas. Rules define the game, setting the skills and challenges of the particular games. Purpose of engaging in the activity is to test these game-defined skills. Deliberate interference with the purpose of the activity is immoral. And now we can turn to Pearson's distinction between kinds of deception. The first kind of deception she discusses is strategic deception. Strategic deception is deception engaged in by players of a game that does not violate the rules of the game. The opponent is deceived about the actions the players intend to take, but the player's actions are not themselves violating the rules. So she gives a couple of examples of this kind of deception. Quote, an athlete deceives his opponent into thinking he will move to the right when he actually intends to move to the left. 
that he will bunt the baseball when he intends to hit a line drive, that he will drive the tennis ball when he actually intends to lob it. So it should be clear that Pearson doesn't regard strategic deception as morally problematic at all. Indeed, indeed, Pearson praises strategic deception as, quote, the sort of activity that makes a significant contribution to the purpose of the athletic activity. Now, the use of strategic deception does not undermine the purpose of the activity. It violates no rules and does not interfere with the testing of the game-defined skills. Moreover, its usage is a central part of that testing and so contributes to that purpose. Definitional deception, on the other hand, is quite a different story. She defines definitional deception as, quote, when one has contracted to participate in one sort of activity and then deliberately engages in another sort of activity, end quote. So games are defined by their rules. So if you agree to play a game, you agree to play by those rules. If you deliberately violate one or more of those rules, then on this view, you are no longer engaging in the original activity. You are doing something else. Now, the most common sort of definitional deception is the intentional foul. A foul is a violation of a game rule. To use your hand in soccer, to hold in American football, to trip in hockey, and so on. These actions often occur in sport, both accidentally and deliberately and there are well-defined penalties for these actions. However, there are times in games that such fouls confer strategic advantage and so are seen as worth incurring the associated penalty. Now, according to Pearson, though, to engage in such strategic, strategic fouls is a kind of immoral definitional deception. It is a deception because you are passing yourself off as playing one game when you are actually playing a different game. The game you have agreed to play prohibits certain activities, and so if you engage in those prohibited activities for strategic purposes, you are not playing the original game, although you make it seem as if you are. Pearson says, quote, if this is the case, a player who deliberately breaks the rules of that game is deliberately no longer playing that game, end quote. <clears throat> and this, argues Pearson, is Immoral, since such activities <clears throat> are designed deliberately to undermine the purpose of the game. She asks rhetorically, quote, How can it be determined which of the two players or teams is more skillful in a game if one of those players or teams is not even playing the particular game? End quote. Now, Pearson allows that accidental fouls occur naturally within games, and since they are not, in virtue of being accidental, designed to deliberately interfere with the purpose of the game, they are not immoral. Quote, since the criterion of intentionality is missing from the accidental foul, that act has no ethical significance, end quote. Now, she also addresses the objection that since penalties for fouls are defined in the rules of the games, then the strategic use of such fouls is not a deception. On this view, Fouls are not outside of the rules of the game, so won't count as a definitional deception. Now, Pearson rejects this argument by analogy to law. Law codes include the penalties for violating the laws in the code, but it would be absurd to then conclude that such violations of law are thus within the law. By analogy, game rules can define the penalties for rule violations without legitimating the violations as part of the rules. She writes, quote, 
even though the penalties for fouling are contained within the rulebook for a game, the act of deliberate fouling is indeed outside the rules of that game. Now, Pearson's arguments in this paper are straightforward and clear. That doesn't necessarily mean they are correct, but their intuitive appeal and clarity certainly played an important role in the article's influence. As discussed in episode four, Warren Frawley offers a formalist critique of the quote, good foul, that clearly relies on Pearson's reasoning. Others, as we will see in future episodes, take up several of the issues raised by Pearson's analysis of deception. Thank you for listening to Examine Sport. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all the shows, along with links and related information at sportsethicist.com. Please also consider rating the show on iTunes, liking it on YouTube, and sharing on Facebook, Twitter, and elsewhere. You can email the show, sportsethicist at gmail.com.